0: Welcome back to the Bahamas Politics Podcast. This is, without a doubt, the earliest episode that we have ever recorded, but you're going to see why that is such an amazing thing going forward. New administrations are settling in. It's the end of the year 2021, and the official opposition, the free national movement, has begun to make some changes. We're here to discuss the result of their one-day convention that we were so fortunate and grateful to attend as media I want to give a special shout out to the persons who were involved in making that happen. And we want to discuss the implications of that one day convention moving forward with the man who will be leading the charge. But first, my name is Jason Brennan, and I'm your host for today. I'm happy to be joined for the first time as a Spectrum team member. I'm happy to be joined by the mind behind Probe Daily, Mr. Tate Adderley. Tate, thank you for being here and co-hosting this episode with me.
1: Hi, hi, no problem. Good morning, Jakes. Uh, I'm happy to be here, and this is delighted to be my first episode. So I'm happy to happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to the experience that I'm going to have with
0: Spectrum. Boy, this is a big one to be on first. All so right. <laughs> right, right. let's let's jump right in. Our special guest today, he is the sixth leader of the Free National Movement. We got to watch him as he was successful in a hotly contested race, and All he right. has graciously agreed to come on to this show and to tell us a little bit about what his plans are moving forward. We are so excited to welcome Mr. Michael Pintard to the Bahamas Politics Podcast. Welcome, Mr. Pintard. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. So let's jump right in. We had the opportunity to ask our audience, mostly Bahamians between the ages of 18 and 35 with an interest in politics, about some... Topical issues, some things that they wanted to ask you now that you are the leader of the free national movement. And one of the first things, of course, if you've been looking at the news, we've been talking about this the or I should say Barbados's jump to becoming an official republic. They are one of the few countries in the Caribbean that have that status. And every time we see someone in our region make that step, the question inevitably comes up, is that something the Bahamas is ready to do or willing to do. Now, Mr. Pintard, I have heard that for a long time you have been an advocate for moving towards a republic system. And I was wondering on behalf of our audience, if you could tell us a little bit more on your stance.
2: Let me say that on the list of things that we are going to commit ourselves to, uh, that would be uh, something that's important. Uh, However, it is not among the top items, but nevertheless, I'd love to share my views with respect to this. Uh, In university, I spent a significant amount of time addressing issues of systemic uh, discrimination, not just along racial lines, but we particularly had concerns about policies, whether it was in the US when I was a student at Tuskegee or in Canada uh, at at McGill, we had concerns about a class-based uh decisions that we felt worked against struggling people Uh, what was also true is that in the international community i grew up at a time when apartheid was still in place and countries were making decisions uh with respect to their economic fortunes and therefore the liberation of south africans were not that important And so I I come at the discussion of the Republic from the from the background of fighting against colonialism. And again, notwithstanding our wonderful relationship with the Commonwealth of Nations and Great Britain, uh, I believe the time has passed uh, for us to uh, move away from having the head of state uh, be the, the sovereign in Great Britain. We are capable, as is many of those countries in the region and internationally, in administering our our own affairs and having the head of state be a Bahamian. And so I'm very much interested in us moving away from from uh, even the optics of that, but also the practicality of that. I also believe that in politics we we need to come to a point where we take another look in the Bahamas at the at the Senate and its configuration and whether or not persons should be appointed or elected. Uh, I support uh, the uh, an elected Senate. I think it it would be um, a wonderful thing. Um, obviously, I, I believe we have a lot of uh, infrastructural work to do with respect to. Uh, our constitution, and that needs to be mod- uh, modernized. And some of the countries that are in fact opting to, to become a republic have not modernized their constitution. They've made some symbolic changes. I think we have to have a public discussion so we can make mm-hmm. some more in-depth discussions. Uh, the final point I'll, I'll make on this is that we have a challenge with partisanship in Bahamian politics to the extent that members of parliament are deeply constrained by our parliamentary democracy. And so there's very little wiggle room for them to engage in bipartisan cooperation across uh, the political aisle. I think that we have to take a look at how we can forge better bipartisan cooperation without penalty
0: for those members of parliament that are minded to do so. Not to steal this question from Tate, I know it was on his list, but it was a question that was asked almost immediately after you won there's the tendency for the official opposition, no matter which party to sort of oppose for opposing sake, or at least that's the perception. So can Bahamians expect cooperation from this official opposition for the passage of sensible legislation, or should we expect more of the same in the partisan stance? Mm -hmm. Already the public would have seen and
2: heard that we have been um, making deliberate attempts to engage the government not just in uh, con- in terms of uh, approaching the legislative agenda from a bipartisan standpoint, but outside of the House of Assembly, we have been reaching out to negotiate a number of matters that adversely affect free national movement supporters and others whose politics we do not know. Uh, for example, in, in urban renewal, uh, we, were, we became aware of a heavy handedness by one of um, our state ministers. And we felt as if it was important to stand in defense of Bahamian workers, primarily women in that ministry that were being aggrieved. And rather than take what would have been the traditional approach of uh, engaging in venomous discussions in the public domain or even uh, demonstrations of civil disobedience, we (laughs) simply made the decision to meet with the substantive minister who was very receptive Uh, to our recommendations, and uh, to his credit, had already begun to look at some of the ill-advised decisions that were made. Similarly in the House, our tune is quite conciliatory. We believe that at the end of the day, uh, no one party has a monopoly on good ideas, and so it's in our collective interest to try and find a common pathway uh, to deal with some of the issues that are bigger than than the government, bigger than the opposition, and require both of us weighing in, and so we have been making recommendations in terms of how pieces of legis- how the piece of legislation that we've recently addressed, uh, the supplementary uh, budget, how that can be improved, and we have also began the discussion about tax policy uh, as we debated. Uh, the VAT amendment because we believe VAT fundamentally is a regressive tax and is unfair to uh, to many of our citizens. Um, the speech from the throne was no different. Our tone was conciliatory. We have no difficulty complimenting the government on sensible propositions that can benefit the Bahamian people and also recognizing the talent that is across the floor, as opposed to seeking to demonize persons because they are for different Uh, political persuasion and so no we we we're quite mature in our approach to uh governance and um and and we're going to be constructive in our engagement but reserve the right when necessary uh as you would say in uh in in new parlance to go in beast mode if we believe our (laughs) rights are being trampled
0: upon uh interesting interesting take you want to handle the next one
1: Well, I can ask the next question, but I also want to bring up a point about uh, being in the opposition, right? Um, And I think there's a certain strategy there. I I would have watched uh, you all's uh, performance in the House when they were debating the compendium compendium of bills dealing with the supplementary budget as well as the the VAT bill. And so I'm thankful for the amendments and and trying to uh, make the legislation better but do you feel kind of, I don't want to say defeated, but more so uh, uh, challenged by the, the large majority in the House being the ratio of 32 to 7? Or are you not afraid of that?
2: Oh, not at all afraid. Uh I'm never scared. Um, the, the reality is the government of today had four members in opposition right. and, then, and they prevailed. Um, we are no less talented than the four that was in the house. and, and I think um, uh, that we, we in fact have a, a more diverse uh, s- skill sets than than the four that were in the house. Uh, right. so, and, and we have seven members. and so we we fully expect that we are going to uh, hold the government's feet to the fire. We will come to the uh, House of Assembly prepared. We will do some things uh, during this, Uh, cycle that that will be fundamentally different than what previous uh, oppositions have done. We have assembled a team of attorneys, uh, as well as um, other practitioners who are going to assist us in crafting relevant legislation, which we intend to introduce. Um, And so uh, what you are going to see is our conversation about the things that need to be adjusted or introduced in the Bahamas, accompanied by concrete legislation, as well as policy and program suggestion to anchor uh, what we are advocating. Um, so you, you, you're going to see a, a different uh, quality of opposition.
1: I am, I am thankful for that. Um, rarely do we ever see um, and, and, and not to sound like I'm tweeting your horn, but I think, really, do we ever see uh, things like that in opposition? I mean, opposition for the past 20 years has just been bickering and somewhat, in a sense, just doing the opposite of what the government party, governing party is doing. So I'm very much so thankful for that. Going along the tangent of your creative background, right? Um, I want to ask a little bit about the orange economy. Um, and given that y- you become prime minister in 2026, um, given the trends of, of, of elections. Um, I want to know what plans you have for the creative field, um, such as with the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Culture or Youth Sports and Culture.
2: Well, I think there are several uh, key things that can be done fairly quickly. And it is my hope that this administration would pursue them vigorously because we will be making the recommendation. We We're not going to withhold what we believe to be good ideas waiting for our opportunity to govern. Uh, We believe that transforming our people's lives is uh, about the journey. And so uh, every day, every week, every month, we have an opportunity to uh, make recommendations that could be transformative, we're going to do so. So one of the things that's important, I think, for us to explore as a country is developing a robust film industry. Uh, Mm -hmm. As you are aware, Developing big budget films require you to have uh, infrastructure and ecosystem uh, that provides incentives to potential uh, producers, uh, filmmakers who are coming into your jurisdiction. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and one of the problems small countries have had is a scarcity of resources to be competitive with those jurisdictions whose pockets are fairly deep. Uh, however, uh, one of the one of the opportunities I think uh, is that has not been explored sufficiently in the Bahamas is the creation of movies or content or content for television versus big budget uh, movies, which I still believe is in the realm of, of possibilities, um, but more accessible is creating uh, movies for the small screen. And then in the process, training a cadre of, of of Bahamians who can factor into this industry at multiple levels, persons who are involved in, in whether it's uh, building sets and scaffolding um, Uh, helping to construct sound stages, engineers, wardrobe persons, makeup, um, film, uh, filmmakers, uh, persons who who write screenplays, et cetera, uh, uh, actors and actresses, et cetera. And so I think what we have to do is, is begin training our persons our citizens for opportunities that I believe will flow into this jurisdiction. We have a number of significant filmmakers who, uh, who lived in the Bahamas, or who have properties in the Bahamas, who are minded to do work with Bahamians, but what we need is a business plan uh, for that sector, developed by both the private sector, uh, pri- practitioners in, in the field and government, uh, and then in, invite not just the world, but the specific uh, experts uh, and talents overseas that can augment uh, or add to the vision that we have of ourselves relative to filmmaking. The the final point I'll make just in this category is we have 100 square miles of of ocean, well, near shore and and deep water. And and the reality is, you don't hear much about marine studios. So aside from building out sound stages and, and studios, we should look at creating a marine studio. Let that be one of the calling cards to come and do business here in the Bahamas. Incentivize uh, a private-private, a, a that is Bahamian International Group, uh, to set up uh, the infrastructure to invite their friends and persons they know in the industry to come and record here, whether it's, it's, it's music or film, um, and from here export to the world because many platforms exist now for content. The second thing we ought to do um, is really to create uh, an, an artist or creative arts Uh, legislation, much like the um, legislation used to incentivize the tourism sector uh, to create legislation that will permit creatives to bring in the the raw material and tools of their trade duty-free and to provide for them in much the same way we do for light manufacturers, as well as people and persons in the tourism sector, those benefits. Uh, that 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 the, that the creatives need in order to uh, succeed in 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 their in their craft. We ought to set up minimum percentages for Bahamian content on radio and and television, and provide the requisite funding. There's a substantial amount of funding that exists now, but it's woefully um, small, uh, so that creatives can uh, cre- produce uh, music, uh, can produce books and and visual arts and, and other forms of, of expression and get it not just into the Bahamian market, but into the uh, international market. Ministry of Education must incorporate in, in a more granular, in a deeper way, uh, uh, training for the creatives in our curriculum. And we have to pay closer attention. In much, in much the same way, math and English is important as fundamentals for life, in my view, uh, so is the creative arts. It's really the glue. Culture is the glue that holds our society together. Um, and and so it's important that from, from preschool all the way through uh, that we uh, create opportunities to groom the next generation of creatives. Think about this, and my final point here, think about this for a moment. We graduate 5,000 students roughly every year. Out of right. that mix, we are graduating uh, out of that whole mix, less than probably one hundred creatives, uh, um, and, and and that's and that's often that's unfortunate. Persons who intentionally are going into that field because the system recognizes the value of it and begin grooming them. Now, over time, uh, people begin to appreciate the value of it, and independent of our system that seeks to um, direct them to other occupations or vocation, they,
0: they they find their All voice. Right. That's definitely the case. And I wouldn't be myself if I didn't bring up that point as a member of the Orange Economy. So you are the poet behind Still Standing. That is something that I had to read in high school. And I was, you know, I remember feeling very proud that there was a Bahamian author on the list of all of the kind of things that we had to read for school. Macbeth, You're also, Macbeth. right, you know, no disrespect to Macbeth or right. <laughs> any of them. Right. right? They're amazing. Right. But to see a Bahamian, uh succeeding on this international stage that was really inspiring to me as a young child and i think i'm not the only one to say that you're also the mind behind many plays about elections and politics in the bahamas that i'm sure some of our followers may have seen i'm curious how has your experience in those areas sort of informed your views on what needs to happen with the orange economy moving forward
2: well, well, one of the greatest challenge Bahamian creators have is monetizing their talent. Right. And what um my life in in theater, uh, my life as a as a writer or a performer uh, has allowed me to do is to to test what I have been saying, and that is that we do have the ability to monetize our talent and our talents. And, and make our passion pay our bills. and So we ran, we, we ran the political satire every election cycle, uh, sometimes as long as 40, uh, 40 shows um, on average uh, between 700 to 900 uh, persons per night. And it was exceptionally profitable. So this was not a hobby. It was an intentional attempt to generate revenue uh, because unfortunately, in a commodity driven society, people seem to respect things more when when mm-hmm. the commodity or the service is 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 turning a profit. And so uh, that's something. We, we stayed true to the craft, but at the same time, uh, we made it, we we made sure that that we earned funds and we paid performers uh, again because it can't be one select group benefiting and the others not. And so we paid performers uh, consistently again to to demonstrate to the market that there there's a real possibility. We traveled internationally and found that. Uh, a, a political satire set in the Bahamas still had some international and regional appeal. We performed in Florida. We performed in the Turks and Caicos. I've done performances um, throughout the Caribbean, Canada, etc. So again, I, I just think there's there's a there's a huge um, huge opportunity. The other thing, too, in terms of how it informed my sensibility going going forward, is that there's something about creatives that give us Uh, an incredible confidence. While persons in politics initially dismissed me as, well, he's a playwright, he's he's a poet. And so what they sought to do is diminish the power of the concepts you shared by uh, only focusing in on the skill of delivery of that message. Uh, and, And I think over time, those that had the traditional Prefixes and suffixes, the, the the designations in front of their name or in the back of their name, and often a, um, directed a listening audience to take them seriously because after all, here I'm. I'm here's my designation. I think one of the things being a creative has helped me with is we have helped to break a ceiling, uh, so the persons understand it is not the nature of your degree or professional designation in the that counts in the marketplace of ideas, but it is the strength of the value proposition that you are trying to share with the public and whether or not they are buying it. And so I, I think we have some incredible uh, creators who have unique visions of how the world should be and the society should be constructed and run and ought to be listened to. And I'm happy to be one of them who who happened to be a policymaker,
0: but at, at, at the heart of it, I'm a creative. Well said. So shifting gears a little bit, when you spoke about the idea of boosting our television production capacity, there is a question on here that came up from our audience, because it's been in the news, about the TV show Shock Treatment, something put on by the Ministry of National Security. I believe it was under the former Christie administration, uh, but it was pulled when the administration came to power. Some persons felt as though it should have been continued. Others felt like it never should have happened in the first place. What's your take on that particular production? Well, quite frankly, in in recent times,
2: I've not paid paid attention to it. I have a uh, a different philosophy as it it relates to how we first reach our young people, captivate their attention, deposit important uh, information and knowledge uh, and values uh, in them, um, and, and so that approach would, would certainly not have been my approach. Uh, I do not know what the science has said, what the, the studies and evaluation of the program, uh, of, of its results, what that has yield. Uh, I, I just see my work with young people in a different way. Um, and, and so I, I, while I believe fear can be a, a, a tremendous driver of decision of decision making, um, I do not believe that it is the best uh, uh, approach. While I believe that tough talk is in is in incredibly important, um, I also believe that we can be compelling. Uh, in different ways in getting a message uh, to, to young people. so, so I, I would only say that, that the work I do with young people is, is different. I believe that inside uh, us they, you know there's that those seeds for greatness and that a part of my role as, as a motivational speaker as a leader is to tap into that and, and mm. I, I, I won't I don't do that uh, in the manner in which shock treatment um, uh, lays out its, its program of reaching, uh, young people who are at risk. And and so I, I, w- I would just say in short, I choose to do my work a different way. That's fair.
1: I think that's a great approach. Um, I think that's a very good approach. Um, personally, myself, uh, I was kind of concerned about the the efficacy or the effects of short treatment. And, you know, I said myself um, regarding Beyond Scared Street, which I'm sure the show is um, made or copied after, uh, the, the effects show that when persons go through programs like this, they tend to go into the same direction as they were going in, um, and that, that either be end up dead or going to jail. And so I'm, I'm thankful for saying things on a different approach. And I think it's important that we focus on rehabilitative methods and dealing with the progressive and core issues um, instead of just being punishment, punishment, punishment. And I don't believe in, in, in so much punitive actions and policy. Um but I want to take it also on a tangent on on agriculture, right? Um I was somewhat of was a agriculture freak back in high school. I think I still am, but I, I have dreams to one day start my own garden once I finish this hectic uh university life, right? Um and uh basically the question I want to ask about agriculture, um how will you ensure that Bahamians use more local products rather than spending so much money on important food from the United States and other uh, countries?
2: In in agriculture, whether it is the production of fruits and vegetables or even ornamentals, uh, flowers, et, et cetera, or it is the production of livestock, I'd like for you for a moment, Uh, to picture a starting point and an ending point. And and these are not very strict, but the starting point is is the cultivation. Uh, But some would argue it is the selection of the seeds, the best possible seeds. Uh, In the Bahamas, you want seeds that are resistant to uh, salinity or high salt content, which is possible given uh, flooding that we experience. You want seeds that are heat resistant, et cetera. Um, so, so on one end, you have the, on the production side, you want breeds of, of livestock, whether it's poultry or, or beef or small woman and sheep and goat, et cetera. You want uh, a breeds that thrive in this environment uh, that are prolific in reproduction, et cetera. That's one end of the spectrum. The next end of the spectrum is your end user. Who's buying this? So you need a market. So think about it that way. Your plants, your your livestock needs a market. So when you ask the question on what would we do, I will refer you to what we've done already. On the, on the market side, we have put in place a policy that 40% of all foods sold right. in the Bahamas right. must right. be purchased, must be purchased from a Bahamian producer. right? And mm. 75% of all foods purchased by government must be purchased from a Bahamian producer. So if government is to have the moral authority to tell private sector buy 40% at a minimum of your your food from Bahamians, we must lead by example. So if you are going to get farmers uh, to produce, it is important that they know that they have a guaranteed market. So we have already fixed that in policy. Mm. That is the start. And then you work your way back all along the value chain from production to final sale, and you ask the question: what are the gaps that exist all along that value chain that's hindering the widespread production of those items that Bahamians and guests, 7 million of them pre-pandemic numbers, would purchase. And, and so, one, there's a there's we are, we are too slow in making land available to farmers and manufacturers so that yes. they could get on with the business of production. So we right. have to liberalize the production the, the leasing of granting of crown grants. So that should come out of the hands of any prime minister. This micromanagement of lease arrangements and crown grant <laughs> it, it is a bad idea that is working again. Yeah. That's one the second the well, second well. thing is we need funding. So we have increased uh, substantially the, the the amount of funding, the largest amount of funding ever available for agriculture in, in the history of the Bahamas was over the last four and a half years. But even that was woefully inadequate. So we have to uh, increase funding through the Bahamas Development Bank, the Venture Capital Fund, the Small Business Development Center in agriculture and marine resources budget itself, right. as well as we must work out arrangements where the private sector are minded to invest in agricultural production because we make it easy for them in other words we improve the ease of business of doing business so so that they would be prepared to invest in the sector and of course one way you do that is you give you give the uh, private sector accurate information about the the sector. So what do we know? We know that we import $1 billion worth of food, 600 million of it, fresh fruits, vegetables, uh, um, livestock, uh, ornamentals, 400 million of it is is value added good or processed foods. And so we've conducted a number of very important studies that provide potential investors, farmers, uh, um, buyers, information on the market that they are giving consideration to. And, and so I think we've put in place some some critical elements that can, can cause this sector to pop off. Uh, final point I'd make is we ought to privatize those state-owned enterprises associated with agriculture, the feed mill, the packing houses, um, the abattoir, all of these, all of these entities which are important for the various uh, parts of agriculture should be in private hands, um, rather than in government hands where inefficiencies are rife and so uh, those are some of the things that I believe that we can do um, uh, to, to transform the sector.
1: Right. Um, and I, I wholly support that. Um, I, I think in a, in a mixed economy where the government has a considerable amount of sway in the economy. I think it's important that uh, stuff like subsidies as well as making uh, quotas such as the 40%, 75% that you mentioned is important because these things are, are needed to grow certain sectors, right? I was doing an assignment for my one of my policy classes and basically looking at the labor the labor force, a considerable or small amount of persons are actually in agriculture. And so I think for me, that signals that that certain sector is a great point for growth. And I think that's an important starting point uh, using the government such as subsidies as well as making quotas to begin the the growth of that certain sector. Um, And as we continue, I wanted to ask about your strategy in the leadership race, right? And so what was your strategy going into the leadership race? And uh, moving forward, what is your plan for the party and for the Bahamian people?
2: Uh, So so let's take the first one. In terms of strategy, it was simply to respond to what our team understood uh, to be the concerns and aspirations of those voting delegates. Uh, I believe that uh, Bahamian um, political activists, persons involved in these organizations, they want to be included in the decision-making of their political organization. And so it was important for us to uh, clearly show that we are going to be inclusive and collaborative in making decisions that we understand that the team is far greater than an individual leader no matter how insightful or talented he or she uh, may be. So that was, that was important. Be responsive uh, to the views uh, and as well as the aspirations of those uh, that, that you hope to lead. Uh, the, the second thing is persons want value propositions that they believe are in their best interest. Uh, and so the kinds of uh, projects we talked about that we intend to introduce while in leadership had to speak to uh, the desires of those persons who you're asking to vote for. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what do persons want? One, uh, they want they want to be empowered. So if there are opportunities within the organization or for them or their children. Uh, in, um, when you become government, they want to know that there's a meritocracy in place that while loyalty is important, um, that if they are competent and uh, and, and they um, have gone through the correct process, mm-hmm. we ought to give them a shot. And And so our team wanted to assure persons that, listen, You are going to have access to the decision-making organs in in the organization. You are going to have opportunity for your views to be heard internally and and, and externally. Um, uh, You are going to have an, an opportunity to be empowered with economic opportunities on the other side, of this, and and how close you are to the leader, or how close you are uh, to a director of a corporation, is going to be secondary. What is most important is is that um, that you you are gifted, that you that you are talented, that you that you are prepared to uh, to play by the rules. And so our strategy was really to hear what the concerns were and to be responsive to to those concerns. And so we took the time to get our message in front of uh, uh, as many of the delegates as, as possible. We also think persons are concerned not just about the substance of leaders. They wanna know that the style makes sense. Um, and so I think humility is very important. I work with a team uh, that was confident, yet we, we exude uh, humility. We understood clearly that we work for right. the folks who we were going to for the vote. As a member of parliament, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm employed by the public. <laughs> so, so so I the way I communicate with the public, um, um, again, the way I take on their ideas and listen to the public um, ought to be emblematic of the fact that I understand who's boss. And, and so we, in, in the campaign, again, we, we sought to strike that tone and it wasn't difficult because I think that's, that's mm-hmm. our makeup.
0: So then I would have to ask as a follow-up, the FNM's defeat in the last election You know, when the media talks about it, they often call it as crushing. I've looked at the numbers, and the FNM lost somewhere in the neighborhood of 40,000 votes between 2017 and the 2021 general election. That's a lot of voter disenfranchisement, not disenfranchisement, but voters being disgruntled. Uh, A lot of persons that stayed home, a lot of persons that went sour on an administration that they elected by one of the widest margins in Bahamian history. history so right. I- your job it, coming after uh, the last administration is to try and regain the trust of persons so that the party can become the government again. And I'm wondering, how do you approach that challenge? It's now going to be, you know, at best, four and a half years, but as we've seen, it could be less time before the next general election is called. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> but, but
0: one year...
2: You are to you are to conduct a post mortem, and so we 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 have um, we've had some um, uh, polling done already, some exit surveys, but we're gonna we are going to uh, be even more in depth in terms of conducting a post mortem on the election, uh, because if you're going to chart the way forward, it's useful to know what went wrong in the last cycle, and so uh, we we are in we are on the pathway to doing that. We will have a conclave where we will evaluate the outcome. Of the, of, of the um, uh, postmortem to be conducted, and that's going to help guide us going forward. Uh, some of the what needs to happen, we already know uh, the answers. Um, uh, we already know what some of the problems was anecdotally, but we want some empirical data so we can know how to prioritize the list of actions we intend to take. Bahamians want to uh, they want to they want to have a clear sense of the pathway that you are leading them now and so uh we need we need to have a solid communications uh strategy and the communication strategy works much better when the very persons who you're communicating with have had an opportunity for their views to factor into the things that you're working on and the ways in which you're approaching the solution to their problems. And so in the same way we are very attentive to voters while pursuing them, we have to be attentive uh, uh, to their views uh, while we are in governance. Um, So that's important. I think the second thing is we have to look at the themes. What are the themes that move Bahamians that, that, that resonate with them? And then to speak to those themes. People are less concerned about uh, your exchanges with members on the other side, or the antecedents and issues that members on the, on the other side are, are, are having. They are more concerned about what you have promised me historically and how mm. you been able to deliver. Mm-hmm. Can you produce and execute? Second thing they're concerned about, particularly if you're an incumbent, uh, they want to know what is your vision? Yes, you have delivered in cycle one uh, at a reasonable level. However, the, ch- the challenges ahead are quite significant and we want to be reasonably assured that you have the wherewithal in cycle two and three to continue to deliver on our behalf. So you have to talk about what is your vision? What is the modus operandi that will allow you to execute that vision? Um, And then people also want to know uh, that, that you have a network of people, a team, that has capacity, it can't just be you one. If you, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I think that there, there is, a, uh, on all subjects, then I think we have a problem. I Because I don't believe that I have uh, all of the answers or even most of the answers, but I do believe that I have the gray matter and, and temperament and disposition to, to go into a room with very smart people and mine that is draw out of them the, the value propositions that can benefit our people in different sectors of our national economy. And I think that's what the public is looking for. They're looking for a team and they're looking for a leader who is uh, open, uh, responsive enough, but certainly smart enough to be able to manage
0: the multiple moving parts in our society and in government. So speaking about team, I can't talk about team without asking this question about women involvement in politics and particularly in the free national movement. You know, I have to shout out the amazing work that SeaWill is doing, Caribbean Women in Leadership, to try and boost the representation of women in politics across the region. They're doing incredible work. But sometimes it feels like organizations like those are doing so much of the heavy lifting. Meanwhile, the political parties are not sending out anywhere near a representative amount of women as candidates. And oftentimes, they will blame that and say, oh, well, they're not applying. But... I think women are getting frustrated by that kind of notion that it's because they're not applying. So I have to ask what, well, well, one, one of our followers just put the question very bluntly, where are the FNM women at, but <laughs> more, but more diplomatically, right? What strategies do you view? Um, what kind of strategies would you implement at the party level to ensure that there are more women around the table, you know, Maybe regardless of how many actually just walk in through the front door and say, hey, I want to be a candidate. How do we really change this around? Because I think it's personally way past the time to get some concrete data points and action points on this topic. Well,
2: we have had a proud tradition as the free national movement in terms of many firsts. in in governance uh, uh, for women. I mean, uh, governor general, uh, the uh, first member of parliament, first speaker, woman speaker of the the house of assembly, in in many of the um, important appointments in the private sector uh, or quasi uh, um, government agencies, uh, we have we have championed those, but we certainly we have had a slippage uh, over the last uh, several years. Uh, one way to correct that is vigorous recruiting. We have to we have to open up the doors, uh, windows, and invite uh, girls and women into our organization. The torch which is the UDAM of the party, um, um, is going to have a significant impact on boys and girls in the society. And from that stage, that is the pre-TYA torchbearers, uh, young people, we have to begin um, uh, sensitizing them to social and political issues and inviting them to be a part of our programs uh, in the the free national movement. And from uh, as early as as then and in torchbearers, uh, women ought to take leadership Roles, Um, guess I believe Bayman women are just flat out. I mean, uh, brilliant, and you see it manifested in so many different areas of the of the society. I believe, and I'll come back to this point. I believe it is the 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 the, the tribalism and the nastiness of the politics that often uh, adversely affect women who make a choice not to engage in or be subject to that level of griminess and nastiness and double standard that exists in in Bahamian politics. But we have to actively recruit. We have to um, um, make sure at the TYA level and all through every organ of the party that that we have uh, some gender balance. We have to fight misogyny and and, and chauvinism in the wider society that creates an environment where a woman doesn't fare as well under the microscope shone on a male because we are tolerant of certain behaviours in men that that we frown upon in in women. When fundamentally there is no difference, and so so more men in 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 the Bahamian politics have to speak out against the the doubles the double standard uh, in terms of 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 us evaluating men and women, their private
0: lives, their public lives, and and what we expect of them. So then, Mr. Pintard, as we kind of wrap up here today, what can we expect from you moving forward? Typically, when there's a new opposition leader, we expect new senators, we expect some shadow ministry appointments, and just, you know, preparation for the long road ahead. What can the Bahamian people look forward to over the next few months and coming years?
2: Uh, well, as early as next week, you will see a new listing of the uh, shadow spokespersons for the party. You will you will see uh, active re engagement of a number of our most recent candidates who will be quite active uh, publicly uh, on on the airwaves talking about the. Uh, the legacy of, of, of the work that they have been engaged in, but certainly of the Free National Movement, but more importantly, about the kinds of ideas, the kinds of, of, of big initiatives the country needs uh, in, in order to not only rebound from uh, Dorian and the, the pandemic, but to chart a course where we can have economic growth uh, to meet the, the growing demands that our society and our citizens uh, face. You can also expect on the legislative front again, us being carefully prepared, but also bringing legislation to the House of Assembly uh, that that will shift the the trajectory of the country. On a policy front, uh, we're going to be very active making concrete recommendations to the government on policies that they ought to uh, put in place. We will be holding public symposiums engaging the public on important subjects like, for example, uh, tax policy. We believe that it is crucial um, uh, for us to begin to within the first six months. uh, You are going to see a number of symposiums uh, led by the free national movement. One of them will be on on tax policy. The second will be on looking at financial uh, um, the financial services sector. And, and how do we go about creating financial instruments that make this sector more attractive? And how do we indigenize Bahamian banking? It is mm-hmm. unfortunate that we have not had the courage uh, as, as, as policymakers to empower more Bahamians who can own money transfer systems as well as more, probably, brick and mortar commercial banks, even though we know that there's a tra- uh, there's a transitioning going on in that particular uh, uh, sector. Um, you could expect that we will have a powerful ground game. We believe that we have to engage with our persons in the informal sector, persons at the community level, and um, my strength is community work, and we have a number of members of our team who has a similar strength, and so you're going to see us very active um, on the ground uh, in, throughout the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, removing a NASA-centric mm-hmm. approach. To governance and community engagement and, and moving throughout uh, the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. So I'm excited, I'm optimistic about the future. I believe that we are in the process of creating a movement that will, that will excite uh, Bahamians and we'll create a place where that excitement can translate into them doing real work on real proposals that we put forward.
0: Mr. Fintard, thank you so much for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you wanna to say to our audience of young people?
2: Uh, certainly, just just to ask them to to keep the faith that that they re- young people in this country really they they're not just leaders. You're not just leaders of tomorrow. You're leaders right now. There's there's some demographics that you're able to meet that many of us are unable to meet, and so you need to flex to share to share your your ideas of, about what the future of this country. Ought to look like, and 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 then you know, I just I just like to give a shout out to Marco City. I'm in this conversation with you because the voters in that constituency uh, gave me a shot to be their standard bearer. And every day, I, I want to not only be one of their voices, but I also want, in practical ways, to help to change their lives. And and so to say to them that
0: I appreciate you, I appreciate my family's sacrifice, who who's taking this journey with me. Thank you so much for being on this show. That'll have to do it for us this morning. I know you've got an incredibly busy day ahead of you, but it was a wonderful conversation and you are welcome back anytime, should you have the time to come on back. Thank you very much for having me. Have a a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning into this most recent episode of the Bahamas politics podcast. As you can tell, we've been on a bit of a break because we needed it. That election sprint was something else, but If you follow us on Twitter, which you definitely should, by the way, at Spectrum POL, you would have noticed that we've been doing some pretty incredible things recently. I'm very excited about the future of this project. I'm excited about Tate joining the team and excited to introduce you to some other members who have been working hard behind the scenes. Just because we have such a good relationship with the Ministry of Youth, Sports, and Culture, I also want to remind our listeners that Youth in Parliament will be back in January 2022. The application form is available on our Twitter page. We will be posting it periodically. So all of you young people who have never had the opportunity to stand in the House of Assembly and you know represent constituents as a youth parliamentarian, this is your shot. Please send in an application. It's a wonderful experience. And it's sort of a rite of passage for people at Spectrum, right? All of the original founding crew um, did Youth Parliament and Tate has definitely sent in his application so that he can join the list. But thank you all for your continued support and for listening and your patience as we move move on to this next stage of the Spectrum Politics team. We really appreciate it, and we hope that you'll be with us for the next episode. Thank you.